And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, of course. And, uh, well, yesterday was the correction day. You know, we've been talking about this for the last week or so. Uh, you know, just prior to the FOMC meeting at the beginning of February, we recommended that you should reduce some risk and, and raise a little bit of cash here because our sell signals had started to trigger. And normally that suggests that, you know, markets are either going to consolidate or decline a bit during that period of time. Well, that's exactly what happened yesterday. Um, S&P down about 2% yesterday. Coming down, and we kind of laid out in last weekend's newsletter and also this week's blog on the website, kind of these levels uh, that the market could come down to. And, and, and part of that was this whole cluster of moving averages that we now have right around 4,000. So again, yesterday, markets coming down to that. Importantly today, we'll see, but markets need to basically kind of firm up and hold around these levels. Now, doesn't mean that, you know, this is the buying opportunity yet. Still, obviously, clearly on a sell signal. Markets are oversold here on a real short-term basis, so we could see a little bit of a bounce today, tomorrow, going into the end of the week. But likely, whatever bounce you get here between the 50-day and the 20-day moving average, which is currently right around 4,080 uh, on the S&P, it'll be a good opportunity, to, if you didn't rebalance your portfolio, to do that. Use this rally to kind of reposition things accordingly. Um, as we continue to work through the sell signal, that will mean that you know prices are either going to continue to work their way sideways or potentially move lower. So again, those are the things that we've got to deal with. The Fed still very aggressively here talking about rate hikes. Uh, James Bullard, as I'm speaking, is on CNBC right now. So uh, futures are pointing mildly higher at the moment, but any moment now, James Bullard, who tends to be pretty hawkish, is going to say something that may just tank the market. So uh, just, just be careful with this. Um, and, you know, he's saying right now that uh, the feds have to go north of 5% to fight inflation. Fed fund futures are already at 5.3%. So basically, he's just telling you what Fed fund futures are already telling you is that the Fed is going to have to continue to hike rates, get above 5% to continue to battle inflation. That's obviously more restrictive monetary policy. That's going to weigh on, importantly, earnings, corporate profit margins, those type of things, borrowing costs, credit card rates are going up. That means more drag on the consumer. So, you know, these are all things that are going to feed into the markets. Now, markets have been rallying, you know, since really December and actually going all the way back to October on hopes that the Fed was going to pivot but more importantly, they've been rallying on this idea that earnings are troughing, right? The, the worst of the earnings are going to be in the quarter one reporting season that will start in April. So the months that, you know, January, February, March, these months that we're in right now, this will be the worst of earnings. Now, this is despite the fact that the economy is still slowing down, the Fed's still hiking rates, tightening monetary policy. Analysts are expecting corporate earnings to trough in this quarter and then begin to rebound by the end of the year. Now, that's going to require stronger economic growth and you know a lot of things that we currently don't have going on right now. So there's a real risk here that analysts, again, are wrong. And, and you know that doesn't necessarily mean that markets have to decline a lot. 
but it does suggest that market prices are going to have an inability to move much higher um, as we kind of work through these valuation issues. A couple other things here to take a look at this morning. The dollar index, you know, there's a, there was a lot of conversation earlier, like kind of late last year. The dollar is going to zero, big decline in the dollar. And we said, hey, be careful here. Mark, uh, dollar's getting very oversold. Uh, market dollar's been actually rallying here very nicely here ever since really the beginning of February. The 20 days about to cross above the 50-day moving average. That's going to give that more lift uh, at this point as well, give some more support to the dollar. Dollar rallying up a, a bit more this morning. Of course, stronger dollar is not great for commodities. And as such, we continue to see gold under a good bit of pressure here after peaking about 1950 on gold uh, per ounce. Gold has now slid down to about 1839, continuing to be under a bit of pressure here uh, on a big sell signal, but getting pretty oversold here. And we've been working through that, that kind of that, uh, that uh, sell signal on gold. So, you know, probably somewhere around 1800, you might get a tradable opportunity, but if the dollar rallies later this year, that's going to put more, more pressure on commodities. Stronger dollar uh, is the inverse of you know, kind of commodity strength. And the same thing kind of goes for, for oil as well. Um, crude oil has been under a good bit of pressure here, and it has been under pressure for a while. Um, we've, and, and again, currently at about $75 a barrel, but this was after peaking over $120 a barrel. There's been a pretty big decline here. Oil currently on a sell signal. So again, probably see a bit lower uh, lower prices in oil as well but that's not surprising again stronger dollar rally that's going to put pressure on things like oil prices because gold oil all those type of commodities trade in dollars everywhere in the world so if the dollar strengthens relative to other currencies then other current other you know individuals outside the u.s when they go to buy commodities they have to pay more for them so it's like an inflation tax on those and so that puts pressure on demand obviously less demand more supply prices go down that's all that happens there um, but again just kind of watch these things there was a, a big bet on commodities last year and we kind of warned at the end of last year that typically what tends to be strong you know that's where everybody was piling in in january uh piling into these trades and these have been the big underperformers this year and, and the big surprise so far has been the most beaten up stocks that everybody hated last year. And that's typically the way the markets work. Whatever markets hate one year, don't chase what worked last year because often, more often than not, it doesn't work in this year because of market rotation, sector rotations, et cetera. So just paying attention to that. Okay, a couple of things here to get into the show today. Again, we'll talk a little bit more about this correction, where this potentially goes to, what's driving it and the theory behind it. Uh, but also, too, you know, we've got to talk a little bit about the economic data from a standpoint that it's been decent, right? And even James Bullard this morning, he's saying this economy's been a lot stronger than we expected. And yeah, that's true. And as we've talked about previously, it had a lot to do with all the liquidity in the markets. But the, the sustainability of that economic strength is going to be uh, much more a, a question as we get further into this year and again kind of going back to that conversation about earnings if earnings are going to trough and bottom and start to improve the economy is going to have to trough bottom and start to improve as well and that certainly seems to be a pretty high bar to meet at least at this current stage of the game as we're looking out into the rest of this year right now now look things can always change and as we've talked about before this year is going to be a year where a lot of things are going to change 
Um, the question is going to be whether or not in inflation comes down sharply or if interest rates break something or if the Fed reverts from hiking rates to cutting rates. But again, there's a lot of ifs to these statements. And when you're trying to manage your money, um, this becomes much more problematic with the bets that we make and, and those kind of positions that we take on. So this is why we continue to re recommend, you know, being a little bit risk averse right now certainly doesn't hurt until we get into a much better cycle where both the technicals and the fundamentals are starting to support each other. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. Michael Leibowitz's new article is out on the website right now. Uh, speaking of gold, it's about gold this morning. Uh, it's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. That's our new channel for our three minutes on markets and money that we put out every morning. Of course, subscribe to our newsletter, get our daily blogs, and most importantly, our daily market commentary. Put it out every morning at 7.30, help you out, make sure that you've got all the right data you need to, to manage your portfolio for the day. That's all on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com we teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors too but raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you our next ria lunch and learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets Join Ratliff and Rosso February 23rd for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, um, James Bullard continuing to speak on CNBC right now. Futures are still mildly positive, so that's good news. Um, you know, but again, you know, what he's talking about is that the economy is stronger than markets thought and, and you know, even the Fed thought, which is why the Fed's got to continue to hike rates. The, you know, the problem with this narrative is really a couple of things. Yes, the economy has seemed to be stronger than what many expected. And again, you know, remember last year that everybody was expecting a recession, literally everyone. And we said, be careful with that, because when everybody's expecting something to happen, it typically doesn't happen. Now, the narrative this year has been the no recession scenario. And the economy was stronger than everybody thought. And, and that data is true, but it's important to remember that economic data is an extremely lagging indicator. And plus, it's also subject to huge revisions. Now, we don't normally pay attention to revisions. But, you know, we go back to 2007 as a good example. In December of 2007, nobody expected a recession. And we wrote an article saying we're going to have one of the deepest recessions since the Great Depression in December of 2007. And nobody expected a recession that had positive GDP growth at the time. Now, there was plenty of evidence that we were going to have problems. All you had to do was pay attention to the data. But hiking rates and subprime, you know, 
deterioration, etc. It was all it was all pretty evident at the time. And of course, in 2008, you had the decline, the recession. Well, I should back that up. In 2008, all during 2008, you had a market decline, but you had no recession. In fact, Ben Bernanke at that time was saying it's a Goldilocks economy. The economy is stronger than we expected. Everything's fine. Got a little got a little problem here with subprime, but it's all contained. Right? This is Ben Bernanke. And if you don't remember that, he was chairman of the Federal Reserve at the time. All through 2008. Then in September of 2008, of course, Lehman goes into bankruptcy. The market declines. You know, out of the entire 52% decline in the markets from 2008 to, to March of 2009, <clears throat> about 40% of that decline occurred between September and March, which was where we pushed Lehman Brothers into bankruptcy. But again, no recession. But yet it was clear we were in a recession, right? But, but economically speaking, nobody had declared a recession. In December of 2008, the data is revised, and the National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and says, oh, yeah, we've been in a recession in 2008. In fact, it started in December of 2007, a year earlier. Now, what good did that do you as an investor? See, if you're waiting on the recession call, it'll be way too late because it's always going to be well after the fact by the time that anybody announces that there's a recession. Because we have to get the data, we've got to revise the data, and a lot of this economic data that we're seeing has strength to it that's likely to be revised later on, negatively. But part of the strength, and look, and there, there is some evidence of economic strength, and, and such is not surprising because of all the liquidity, and we talked about this yesterday a bit, that as a percentage of GDP, the amount of liquidity that is sloshing around the markets is still exceptionally high. Highest levels we've had since 2008. Not surprising when you throw $5 trillion worth of money and sending checks directly to households that you get some relative strength in the economy. Right? doesn't mean people have money, but they're still spending. And of course, they, they initially went and bought a bunch of stuff, which created that big 30% surge in GDP in the, the third quarter of 2020, 2020. And since then, the GDP growth rate's been slowing as all that money kind of worked its way through the system. But now consumers are still able to spend because they're doing things like tapping credit cards, et cetera. And we're also seeing another big surge in disability claims as consumers look for money to spend. And we saw the same thing occur back in 2008. Uh, during 2008, President Obama came out at the time and they extended unemployment benefits for up to two years. So if you were out of work because of the financial crisis, you could just stay on unemployment claims for up to two years. And, and what we saw then, actually unemployment, you know, disability claims dropped because people were getting this money from unemployment claims. But as that money, as those unemployment claims ran out, we saw a huge surge in disability claims Starting in uh, 
2010. And then from 2010 to about 2015, those claims surged. And once the economy kind of stabilized at a normal run rate, um, disability claims kind of flatlined again. They dropped during 2020. The number of people filing disability claims dropped in 2020. Why? Because people were getting lots of money. They were getting laid off. They were getting stimmy checks from the government. Didn't need to file a disability claim. I was having plenty of money coming in. Didn't have to pay my rent. Didn't have to pay my mortgage. Didn't have to pay off my student loan because of moratoriums. So I'm okay financially. Now that that money has been running out, we're now seeing a huge surge in disability claims again. And either people are working the system for additional money or the workplace has become vastly more dangerous over the course of the last couple of years and people are getting hurt at work. I suggest it's probably the former as filing for disability claim isn't hugely problematic. But consumers are creative and they find ways to go get capital when they need it. And so not surprising that the economy has remained a bit stronger. We have so much liquidity sloshing around the markets right now that everything is still okay. But that liquidity as a measure of GDP is now declining. But as we said on, on yesterday's show, it's kind of like a car driving downhill, right? It's, you know, as the car is going downhill, and you, you know, you're top of the hill, you put the car in neutral, and you let the car roll downhill, right? And so you start putting on the brakes about halfway down the hill, and it takes time for that momentum to come to a stop. And it's the same thing with economic data. Yes, the economic data seems stronger right now, but the support for that strength in the economic data is declining. The brakes are being put on, but it's going to take time for that economic data to slow. And that's why this idea of a no recession scenario in, in 2023 is not entirely out of the question. We may not have a recession this year. It might be next year. But there's one indicator that certainly tells us to be worried about it. And again, when we're talking, by the way, just when we're talking about a recession, right, we're just talking about a slowdown in economic activity. We're not talking about the next Great Depression or anything like that, right? Just so keep this, you know, in, in context of some form of reality. But the yield curve, which has been, ever since last year, has been a topic du jour. The yield curve is inverted. That means we're going to have a recession. That was a lot of the the punch behind the recession call last year. And we've warned you before is that it is not the inversion of the yield curve that is predictive of a recession. All the inversion of a yield curve tells you is that the economy is primed for a recession. The conditions are correct for a recession. That's all that tells you. You know, you can go outside, you can look up, and there's clouds in the sky, right? Dark clouds. And you go, oh, it's going to rain. But then it doesn't rain. It's just dark clouds, right? All the clouds tell you is that the conditions are right for rain. It doesn't mean it has to rain. That's what the yield curve tells you. As it's inverting, it just tells you that the conditions are correct 
for a recession in the economy. When does the yield curve tell you that the recession is imminent? That's what you want to know. Do you take an umbrella outside with you or not? So you turn on the television, you listen to the meteorologist, Mike Iskovitz over at Fox 26. My buddy says, it's going to rain today. Take an umbrella. There's a 70% chance of rain. That doesn't mean it's going to rain in your neighborhood, right? It just means there's a 70% chance of rain somewhere within the metro area, the viewer area. So it doesn't mean necessarily just because it didn't rain in your neighborhood that it didn't rain. But it's, just, it's the same thing that you have with inverted yield curves. An inverted yield curve, when it begins to uninvert, that is your indication that you're going to have rain. Your odds of rain in your area have now risen markedly. And the reason that the yield curve is uninverting is because now all of a sudden there is starting to become a shift within the economy into a recessionary type mentality in terms of the activity within the economy. And that's reflected by the, the troughing first, right? The yield curve stops going down and then begins to improve. And the steepness of the uninversion, when you start having that uninversion of the yield curve, that's where the recession has occurred this is where the Fed is now cutting rates, not hiking rates. And you're getting the shift within the yield curve as lenders become overprotective about making loans. So that's what you'll be paying attention to. Yields will be falling across the board, but yields will be falling faster on the short end than on the long end because the Fed is now cutting rates. So pay attention to the yield curve. The yield curve is starting to trough. It's not done it yet, but it's starting to trough. And that gives you your signal that a recession may be coming next year. All right, be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. We teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors too. But raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you. Our next RIA Lunch and Learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets. Join Ratliff and Rosso February 23rd for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So yesterday on the show, I shared with you the story of my daughter running over a rabbit and her being traumatized by this event. And so yesterday, out of the kindness of my heart, I sent her a picture of a cute little bunny. And I said, I just went to the store and bought a new bunny. I'm naming it Thump Thump. Somebody sent me an email yesterday. It says, apparently, between my daughter killing chickens and the other one now running over rabbits, I'm raising serial murderers. So, You're a threat to natural wildlife <laughs> is what it is. I'm just keeping <laughs> populations under control. Oh, Mr. Roberts, PETA on line one. <laughs> so a new study out this morning 
Um, actually, this is a, not really a study. It's just a uh, data collection from both the BLS and the and uh, this uh, talking about the number of people that now have advanced degrees in the economy. And you know, you hear a lot about the wage gap and this type of stuff. In the economy right now, 10.8 million men have advanced degrees. Pretty good. 11.9 million women have advanced degrees. Just to let you know, in fact, somebody, I put this out on, on Twitter this morning, and D1 Investments tweeted me back. says, grad school is a great place to meet the ladies. It's the new nightclub. <laughs> so apparently a lot of women now going to grad school. My wife has advanced, actually has advanced degrees. Plural. Plural. Yeah. She's very smart. She has advanced degrees in both the memory of everything ever did wrong <laughs> and always being right. I think my wife has those degrees, too. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, baby, what's your major? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> those were the days. Well, essentially, we talked about this last week. Brent, you remember we were talking about how this lady was posting online her credit score to get dates? Yes. Yeah. Smart's <laughs> the, the new thing that's there in. There you go. Smart, smart and good credit. You know, it is interesting, you know, because I talk to my kids um, and, you know, they're of age now and they're all dating and doing this stuff. Right. And it is interesting, Danny, to your point that I haven't told them about, you know, dating other people. I mean, we've talked about the type of people they want to date that type of thing, but I've never said, hey, you know, make sure and date somebody with a good credit score. But they are very aware <laughs> of this and and it's it's you know when like my daughters are setting up dates and whatever they're like you know does the guy have a job does he have good credit i mean they're they're checking these things out in advance now because uh, you know it's a, it's a lot bigger issue than it used to be and especially because a lot of the guys that my daughters want to date it's, it's like what's the big coal factor for not going out with somebody how much how how much time does he spend playing video games Really? Right. Mm, interesting. And so if they're, if they're big Call yeah. of Duty fans, right, and they're, they're spending all their time. <laughs> and, she, and it was interesting because she told me one day that she was texting a guy that she was interested in. And she would text him, and it would take 22 minutes for, her to, for him to text <laughs> her back. And she would text him, and in 22, almost exactly 22 minutes, he would text her back. And that's because it was in between rounds of what he was playing on Call of Duty. And she said that was it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So it's, it's pretty it's a, pretty it's smart very, to put that together too. Yeah. Honestly, I mean. But but it, but it is interesting. It's just a different world for 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 our kids. Yeah, that's a know? dynamic we never had to worry about. So no. they got to be good looking and bankable. Bankable is important. Yeah. Not only bankable, but have good time management. Yes. Yeah. Hey, but maybe we could argue this kid did. I mean, every twenty two minutes he responded. Yeah. I mean. No, he was. He was. But you know, she's like, eh, you know, I need somebody a little bit more attentive. <laughs> Anyway, Brent always puts things on my my notes, show notes in the morning. Has a quote here for all of you morons out there asking for Father's Day and Mother's Day to be changed to a special person day. There is always already a day just for you, April Fool's Day. <laughs> but you know that April Fool's Day is actually a higher rated day than Father's Day. I'm not surprised. Father's Day yeah. is the 22nd, no, 21st 
most celebrated holiday. Yeah. Arbor Day is, I don't even know what Arbor Day is. I know you plant a tree, but I don't even know what day that is. But it is more celebrated than Father's Day. So give your dad a tree for Father's you know, Day. You know, you know what the second most celebrated holiday is? Second most? No. Mother's Day. What's the first? Christmas. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> That's a separate category all but of its Mother's own. Mother's Day. I mean, look, yeah. we all love our mothers. Yeah. Mother's Day is number two. Father's mm. Day is 21. Yeah. I mean, something. <laughs> something you know, we should at least be above Halloween. Or Arbor Day, at least. Or Arbor Day's 13th. <laughs> anyway. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, doing great. How about you, Lance? Nice. Nice. Um, so a couple of things here. We were just talking a little bit uh, a moment ago. James Bullard um, out uh, this morning talking about the Fed needs to hike rates further, faster, farther to combat inflationary pressures. Um, so far, markets are holding up. He didn't. He didn't kill. Of course, yesterday markets were down over two percent. So seeing a little bit of a reflexive rally today won't be surprising. But you know, this has been kind of a, a very interesting start to the year. And I guess you know, kind of what are you hearing from kind of from clients and things like that about the markets this year? Yeah, I, I think you know it, it's interesting because the dynamics shifts and perspective shifts very quickly. And I think the one thing that we're seeing was that initially at the beginning of the year. Everybody was extremely bearish. And then once we get into February, everybody's like, hey, whoa, you know, mm -hmm. we're talking about going all in for some people. Um, and, and so trying to really measure exactly what is going on, the full dynamics and the shifts that are happening extremely quickly has been difficult because this has been transitory. And the Fed has always used this word transitory. And all of a sudden they're saying, well, inflation is a little bit sticky. Yes, but it still is transitory. Unfortunately, it's just stickier and probably more so than what we were hoping. But look, terminal rate, what are they expecting? Like it's 5.3 now. Mm -hmm. So instead of ending the hikes here in potentially February or and or March, now we're looking to go to April, potentially June. Um, but terminal rate hasn't shifted all that much. I mean, we a little bit. So what's the overall broad impact I think is going to be the, the bigger kicker and how quickly do we see this economic data? I mean, you gave a pretty good history lesson on the first two segments in a sense of what happened in 08, how things mm -hmm. shifted quickly. But by the time you received the information that, you know, we were in a recession, that was December of 08. What was it? March yeah. 3rd of 09 was the bottom. Yep. And so I think this is the most difficult thing for most people right now. And, and us included as money managers, this is a challenging time because most of all this data we're getting is in that rearview mirror where we need to be looking forward and understand exactly you know, what the implications may be because this market will look out further. And so I think that's what most people are struggling with at the moment. And it's either you're expecting, okay, things are hunky-dory, they're not as bad, or, all right, this is a false move here, and we have to be extremely cautious. And I think yeah. it's probably a little bit of both. It, it is, and it's just uh, what, what I find interesting is that, you know, we've had this rally, and, 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 I, get, and I get either two types of email questions from either clients or you know, just listeners, viewers, people going to our website. It's either is, okay, when's the market going to crash and everything's going to end and, you know, I need to be in gold and, and beanie weenies or, you know, when are we going to get all into the markets? And there's not anything in between about, hey, let's just be a little bit cautious here and see how this works out. It's, it's this very clear dichotomy between all in or all out. And, you know, that's not the way markets really work. And this is why we've talked about being measured in our approach about how much equity risk we take on. And we've been looking to add some positions that are beaten up, looking for sector rotations. 
you know, those type of things. But just taking a very measured approach to managing this until we can figure out kind of what the market's going to do and, and how the market's going to react. And as I was just talking about a second ago with inverted yield curves, you know, there's becoming more and more evidence that a recession is coming. And this is much more appropriate now that we're getting these signals suggesting recession coming because now everybody's in the camp of we're not going to have a recession, right? We're somehow going to magically avoid this recession despite the fact the Fed's hiking rates, tightening monetary policy, et cetera. And I think, you know, yesterday was a, a really interesting day report-wise. I did I, I was slammed with media interviews yesterday just because everybody kind of wanted to know what was going on with the Fed and, and all this. And, and what was interesting is that nobody really paid attention to what Walmart and Home Depot said. Now, these are consumer retail stocks to a T. I mean, this is these are the gauges of what tell you that consumers are doing. Home Depot missed earnings and their outlook was terrible. Consumer consumption is slowing down rapidly. Walmart said exactly the same thing, that their consumer traffic is slowing down. People are, are basically starting to get to the point of where they're buying less because things cost more and they're having to not, you know, go shopping as much. You know, I'm, I'm, we've got some more retail stocks that are coming out, eBay, Etsy, uh, Bed Bath and Body Works, um, you know, that's and that's an, Bed Bath and Body Works is an interesting one because that's a very discretionary item. You know, I can I can't really skip on going to Target to buy food or Walmart to buy food, but I can skip Bed Bath and Body Works on Bubble Bath. Right um, now, there's a lot of women that are going to disagree with that statement, and I'm completely OK with that because my wife is one of them. Bed Bath and Body Works is a necessity. Food really isn't. Sorry. I thought it was Beth, Bed Bath and Beyond. That's th it is. And There's Body a, Works too. No, no, two different stores. Oh well, you said Bed Bath and Body Works. Did I say Bed Bath? Sorry, Bath and Body Works. My Thank apologies. You. Okay, well, I, I can't keep them together. You got work okay. into yeah. a lather. I, <laughs> bath and Body Works. My apologies. Anyway. There's too many things that are going on at one I time. know. Um, but anyway, you know, pay attention to these retail stocks because they're telling you a lot about what's happening with consumers. And if consumption is slowing down, as represented by both Home Depot and Walmart yesterday, that suggests a much bigger issue is kind of at work within the overall economy. And again, retail stocks don't really get the attention that they should be getting, but they tell you a very good story. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com we teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors too but raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you our next ria lunch and learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets Join Ratliff and Rosso February 23rd for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
So market started selling off yesterday in earnest. And uh, again, not surprising this morning. Could see a little bit of a bounce today, but I wouldn't get too excited. The market might open up mildly this morning and then sell off again. Again, there's a lot of people that, you know, were long this market. They're familiar with the sell-offs from last year. And so you had a lot of retail traders piling into the market. So again, you know, when this market starts to roll over a bit, they're going to be the first ones to start bailing out again. So again, you know, just be a little bit cautious here with the markets. Uh, Jim Cramer um, out yesterday talking about six things that need to happen before this sell-off can end. He says the accelerated rise in Treasury yields must slow down, and the benchmark 10-year Treasury rate is up to 3.9% on Tuesday. Um, that's something we talked about two months ago. We talked about the fact that we're waiting to add to our bond exposure because interest rates had gotten very over overbought and they needed to reverse. And so now we're having this move in interest rates that are getting interest rates now or bond prices, I should say, now oversold enough that we can add to our position. And as I was talking about earlier, as the yield curve uninverts, that means that yields will be falling across the board. It'll be the short end falling faster than the long end as recession sets in. That's where the Fed starts cutting rates. And that's where you want to really lengthen your duration in your bond portfolio. And this is a, you know, we get a lot of questions about why do we own bonds here, et cetera. And this is why, because at some point when this thing reverses, it'll reverse very quickly. He also says that anomaly stocks that are trading disproportionately high, these are a lot of these, you know, company meme stocks, et cetera, that have been um, rapidly rising here as of late as retail traders are piling back into them. Um, need to come down, and he's correct about that. Recession-resistant stocks like PepsiCo and Merck, we talked about sector rotations. Consumer, consumer staples and uh, utilities have been very out of favor. Those are starting to come back into favor, and that shows that that's part of this corrective cycle. You'll see this rotation to these more defensive sectors, which is why we've been adding to those as of late. Um, banks need to stabilize, of course, as the interest rate environment continues to shift. Retailers need to identify the industry winners and losers. Again, just talking about Walmart and Home Depot a second ago. Um, you know, these are the companies that are the heartbeat, really, of the U.S. consumer. And finally, the market needs to be much more oversold. Agree with that. Um, the market is not really that oversold yet, despite the sell-off yesterday. So we've got some more work to do. But so those are just kind of some things that to pay attention to. Again, might get a little bit of a rally this morning, but don't be surprised if it sells off, you know, almost immediately after the open or later on in the day. Still a good bit of pressure on markets overall. Uh, but Danny, you had a question, but talking about bonds, this is one that been one of your questions is yours as of late. Yeah, I think I think, you know, people right now are, are it's difficult to understand why to invest in bonds at the moment at all. And I think it's always a, a good thing to go back to just to have a discussion surrounding, you know, why would we own a bond at this moment? Um, you know, I think that there's a very big argument at this time where we can we can make an argument that, hey, this is a great opportunity coming at, that we have. But also understanding that in a portfolio, we're typically not all in or all out the way we manage funds. It's a little bit different than most where it's not a so-called set it and forget it. We're still going to have some exposure. And I think the bigger part you just mentioned was rates can change very quickly. I mean, it wouldn't be uncharacteristic or unlikely to see that markets, you know, rates decline very quickly when we do get more bad economic data, which is likely coming. I mean, if we look at all the, the problems that we're beginning to see, 
albeit we have a lot of conflicting data. Some of it is is very, I'm not going to say bullish because now we're back to good news is bad news, clearly. But the economy has been a lot more resilient than I think most expected. When we do start to get more bad economic data, I think these yields are going to have to shift, and not only just with the Fed speak and them potentially changing. So yesterday I had a conversation with somebody, Lance says, mm-hmm. look, I don't understand any position in bonds at the moment. Why would we own any bonds when the Fed's been telling us they're going to hike interest rates? And that's true, they have. But they also, we have to remember, this rate hike expedition they've been on has been one of the quickest that we've ever seen. And because they were so far behind the curve, they had to jump. And not only that, this economic data has been so much more resilient that they've had to continue pushing forward. Now, I don't think anybody would have thought at this point right now that we'd still be dealing with inflation over 5%. Right. You know, I think everybody thought, hey, this is going to come down quickly. A lot of it is very uh, stimulus-driven, monetary fiscal policy. And yet here we are where we're still dealing with this. And it's, it's difficult, I think, to rationalize, especially when you look at some of the other data. Consumer savings rates has declined substantially. Credit card usage, you mentioned this earlier, is people are really leaning on that. And, and why do we do those things? Because we either think things are going to get better or because we have to. Mm-hmm. And I'd argue that it's a point where many people have to. I mean, we've shared the stats over and over on how many people can meet an emergency, emergency expense without going to somebody to take a loan. And mm-hmm. that number's not huge. That number's like 400 bucks. And then you're starting to dip into to going to you know, family or going to a credit card or going somewhere to meet that emergency expense. Retirement accounts, those balances have come down quite a bit, the average retirement accounts. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Um, so we are a, a truly underfunded society. And the issue is, you know, one of the bigger arguments that I hear, Lance, and I know you hear this as well, is, well, I remember the 70s and 80s. And, and you know what? Great. But the economy is so much different than what it was then because we didn't have the debt that we have, right. not from a consumer, corporate, or government balance sheet. They're completely wrecked. So I think you can make the argument that you're going to see bonds, and even if these yields increase a bit, look at this as one of those buying opportunities. I think we'll look back in a year and we're going to say, whoa, I wish we'd have, we would have gone you know, all in on something like this potentially. Not that we would, yeah. but that's the environment that we could potentially be in. Well, no, and it's a couple of things, you know, and that's right. You know, all everything you just said is right. I thought it was interesting. I got an email yesterday uh, from a very nice lady. She's saying, should I take the money out of my 401k plan to pay off my mortgage? And I was like, absolutely not. I said, first of all, if you're asking me if you should take out money from your 401k plan to pay off your mortgage, that means that you don't have a emergency fund built up to weather through whatever you have going on in your household and you know so your first step you know and if you're in that situation that retirement account is all you have for retirement so don't go put money that can grow for you into a house you're living in that becomes dead that becomes a dead asset at that point particularly if you're going to live there and this was an older couple so they weren't going to sell their house anytime soon uh, they're going to be living there. And so you don't want to destroy the growth and liquidity of that money to put it into a house. So, you know, the problem was that they weren't prepared for, for a downturn. They weren't prepared for this. And this is why, you know, we talk about having these emergency safety cushions and, and these, you know, situations where you've got just some cash sitting in the bank. 
And, you know, now, you know, before when cash was at a zero yield, everybody was like, I just have cash earning nothing. It doesn't matter. That's an emergency account. That is there for when something goes terribly wrong, you get laid off, you lose your job, whatever it is, you can pay bills without having to financially stress over a period of time until you can get reemployed or get your situation straightened out, whatever it is. You know, so the advice was tough for her because it was you're going to have to go get a second job. You're going to have to sell stuff, you know, that's got any value in your house. If it's not nailed down or, or breathing, you sell it. Um, raise some cash, you know, do what you got to do to make ends meet until you can get yourself back into a better position. But don't go, don't go take money out of that 401k plan, you know, to put it into your house because now, now you have nothing left. You have nothing for retirement or anything else. And so it's always important that, you know, when we get to these situations in the economy that you're making, you don't make rash decisions about, paying off debt or whatever it is, and then leave yourself really in a financial strait later on when things do start to recover. Yeah, and, and two things on that. Number one, if you have money in cash and you are getting nothing, you are getting screwed. <laughs> Bottom <laughs> now line. Now you are. Now you are. No, you are right now. I mean, look, it, that's historically, that's exactly right. You have not been getting paid for cash. But there are ways for you to get yield on cash right now. You know, You just have to work a little bit at it. Spend 10 minutes. You can find a lot of banks that will give you, that'll pay you to store your money there. Um, there are many places that aren't giving, passing on that higher interest to you. And that's your traditional brick and mortar banks. There are some that will pay some, but for the most part, they are not passing that on to you. And the second thing is if you're going to take your retirement funds, your emergency funds, everything that you have that gives you liquidity, gives you some safety, and you pour it into that house, you're creating basically it's a dead asset mm -hmm. because now you have you're not going to be able to take from that like you historically would and many people especially if you're in retirement you don't have the additional savings now we have another problem you know everybody says well go get a home equity line of credit great now oh. you're more in debt <laughs> well but you're more debt right at potentially higher rates right now and is the bank with potential liquidity issues on the horizon going to actually be giving home equity line of credits I remember back in 08, you were talking mm -hmm. about that earlier. Yeah. Many big institutions were shutting down lines of credit yep. completely, saying, hey, we're not going to issue anymore, or we're going to turn this, we're going to lock this. And so that liquidity disappears very quickly. And if you're no longer working, they may not even give you that loan. Mm -hmm. So a whole lot of things to consider when we start thinking about how do we plan for liquidity events in retirement should you pay your house off and look there's arguments and there are times that we can say absolutely or you know what if this gives you peace of mind great but if we don't have the additional resources to fund other goals objectives that's where it becomes extremely problematic exactly all right that wraps the show for today uh, get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com make sure and subscribe to our new youtube channel it's called before the bell that is our three minutes on markets and money we put out every morning. Of course, at the, while you're there at the website, subscribe to our daily market commentary. It comes out every morning at 7.30. Gives you market recap, tells you what's going on with the markets, earnings. It's all there for you to keep you up to date and informed about what's happening every trading day in the markets. That's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, along with our latest blog post, our newsletter. A lot of stuff. Check it out, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.